The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 241 Breakdown, picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night. is up you savages this is the protect your neck podcast and i am your host dan tom and this is where you can find over at mmajunkie.com and on this year program we break down high level mma that's what we're going to do here today tonight whenever you're listening to this hopefully it's before the fight because uh i'm getting this out early well not really early actually on time when i aim to get this out thursday afternoons at least pacific time here in the west coast of the united states where ufc 241 will be taking place um, but uh, it's pretty bad when like your uh, uh, your early is on time. You don't want to be that guy, Dan. You are that guy. I know that's why I'm saying you don't want to be that guy. Learn from me. Learn from me, kids. Learn from me. Anyways, uh, I was a little bit laughing if you caught a little laughter in the intro, adjusted intro there, because I had to actually redo it like four or five times. I was I'm a little out of, out of sync. Not really out of sync. Um, I just had to change up the verbiage of of the the intro, and I've been doing it for so many years. And the, yeah. I think I did it like when I was with MMA Latest, maybe before. Uh, yeah, and then I was with MMA Latest when I was without them, when I was with Flow, when I was without Flow, and uh, when I was with MMA Junkie. So it's already went through a couple juggles, but it's been this pretty steady one of of of, uh, of of the same intro. So just changing it up, it did kind of throw me off. Though speaking of MMA Junkie Radio, folks, everybody's been asking me. Uh, we got an official post out. Hopefully, you saw that circulating around. I know I recirculated on the Twitter. Uh, the show will be back there August 19th. Um, different format, but again, for the extras and tidbits, make sure you're uh, hitting up and following uh, George and Goes there for the extra Patreon uh, stuff. They're going to be, I think, already are putting out content. Uh, I'll be joining here uh, soon as well. Um, and uh, hopefully I'll be popping over there uh, on, on, on the show, uh, you know, uh, Later on, don't be surprised if you do see me. So uh, August 19th, folks, go check out that post. Also wanted to give a shout-out to uh, uh, Carl Alves, who is an author. He listens to this podcast. He also listens to the radio show. And he sent me a copy of his book. He's actually an author. He's wrote a couple books, if you go look him up there. But this one's called Invocation. And uh, it's a thriller, which is right up my alley. And uh, got a little bit of MMA tie in there. So uh, I'm going to check it out and give it more of a proper review. I just wanted to give him... Uh, a shout there, Carl Alves. Uh, go look him up and his work, and I'll let you know what I think after uh, I get through here. Hopefully, I told Carl uh, I got this break coming up that I told you guys about. Uh, I don't know if it's really much of a break. I'm actually going to be doing a lot of podcast work for y'all, but uh, I'm going to be pretty good about keeping some downtime, getting some work in ahead of time, and we'll be looking to knock this book out in vocation. So thanks, Carl. Also, big shouts to the Loudmouth Podcast Network, uh, the show Between the Links, which is hosted by Mike Heck over there. Uh, Mike Heck, of course, uh, and my Jano. I don't know why I put an English accent on him. I, th- I think he's up over there from the New England, if it sounded correct. It's so hard. Keith Schillen's, uh, you know, uh, uh, 
Boston accent kind of washes everything out, and uh, I'm hoping to get Keith on 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 a top five. I got I got a, a message him. He's a he's really good at history over there. Also, shouts to Craig Allen, Davison Baker. Uh, it was nice to officially meet those gentlemen. Of course, John Franklin, who I've shot out on this show before. Um, He's got a new show over there. I believe it's called The Sunday Morning Corner Man. I listened to a couple few. Not many post-fight shows uh, out there, so be sure to go check him out and and follow him. John Franklin is a good dude. A good dude in Dan Tom's book. Um, And, uh, yeah, thank all you guys. Uh, We're going to, real quick, uh, Dana White Tuesday Night Consender Series 24 went down. Uh, Not really much to recap there. Probably the lowest grades I gave out. I hope it didn't come off wrong, but, but yeah. Um... No Justine Keish in the crowd going crazy. Although I did see Clay Collard in the crowd last week, which made sense because he got, you know, booked to fill in for Devontae Smith on this card and um, is right back out. I don't know what happened there. He did look huge, though. I almost didn't recognize Clay, man. He looked like, I mean, obviously, you know, the fight was at 155. Who knows what he's been doing? I haven't been following up on him, but that's a big boy. That was a fun fight against Max Holloway he had back in the day. We'll get to the Devontae Smith fight and who he's fighting. Uh, soon enough, folks. Um, it shouldn't be too actually long. I'm already going to just do Ur- Uruguay and then move on to the breakdown. But as per usual, guys, I always, reminder, for people that don't want to listen to me, uh, as little as possible, which I don't blame you. I don't take it personal. <laughs> I always provide st- timestamps so you can skip ahead to the breakdowns. And or if you're really just tight on time or really just don't want to hear me, again, all good. I just appreciate you. Appreciate you coming here. Appreciate you subscribing. Appreciate you telling a friend even. You can always skip to the end of the episode where I give my picks and plays there post-haste with the nice outro music, of course, The Blasters. Uh, Dark Knight, go download on iTunes, go support them. Thank you, fair use. Ha, 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 The one good thing about not having sponsors yet, folks, uh, the one good thing about not having sponsors. And, you know, you listen to episodes like last week's and you wonder why Dan Tom doesn't have sponsors. Jesus Christ, the shit that I say sometimes. Anyways, folks, but like the iTunes review says... You guys seem to appreciate that, uh, you know, good or bad, <laughs> right or wrong. Uh, I'm honest with you guys, and you're getting you're getting you're getting me raw for whatever that's worth. All right, UFC Uruguay uh, went down. Uh, probably already lost. Yeah, I'll pull that up when it gets there. That's up. Um, I'm just gonna blow through these uh, uh, real quick. Uh, Shevchenko defeated Karmouche. Uh, terrible fight went to decision. I guess you know we shouldn't be too surprised by that. Um, part of me suspected that, but with the way Valentina has been much more aggressive at this weight class and um, just seeing again, like fighters that are non-committal hurt, starting to hurt Carmouche. Um Like, like Chukagian. I, I, I felt the, I felt that Shevchenko was going to get it done inside and maybe it was the old, uh, I think we're all a little victim of it. And I actually was on here kind of even outing him. I'm defending the guy, uh, you know, just cause he's feel bad. Everybody's piling on a Johnny, the Greek there. But, like, uh, you know, hey, man, that fade the Greek is pretty real. I mean, that guy's been mushing stuff like crazy lately. I forget who he was on the other day. He was trying to, like, give out a freaking minus 600 line. Or, oh, that was Burns. Yeah. Was it Burns? No, no. Was it? Uh, yeah, yeah, that was Burns in the Contender Series. And, uh, sorry, I saw Burns on the results here. We'll get to him in a second here. And uh, it's just like, Jesus Christ, this guy's mushing. Like like the guy from uh, my favorite movies there, Bronx Tale, uh, The Mush. Uh, get in the bath. Get him back in the fucking bathroom. Maybe, maybe he was in the bath. Uh, that was Johnny the Contender Series this week because he didn't place any bets and he didn't come out to sit either. He just did his. He did the thing where he kind of creepily sat, stood behind us in media row again for a little bit. But that's about it. Uh, he does have plays this week, which make me worried. We'll get to those in a second. And um, 
one would have been on the avoid list anyways, but I'll be honest, his influence kind of went here. But hey, at least it's going toward avoid to be safe than, than making a play. Um, I think that was a lot of, if anybody was you know surprised, maybe maybe bets had to do with it. Hey, I had some bets in there too. I ended up positive, but I'll be honest, I would have ended up a couple hundred more positive if Shevchenko got it. Uh, that being said, you know, not that much of a surprise. Uh, props if you were on the on with the Greek for that one, and got to give credit where the credit's due there. Um, yeah, I, I kind of talked him on, you know, what's next. We actually had really good discussions about that and fall out of this card um, on that between the links. So instead of uh, diving into that and waxing, I'm just going to continue on and, and give them a shout. Another reason to go go check check them out over there on the uh, the Loudmouth Network. Uh, all right, Vincente Luque defeats Mike Perry. This was just a great fight and also a great example of how scoring criteria is how you can score things in different ways. Um if you're favorable to more heavy shots and landed, then maybe you're toward Mike Perry, but then that kind of, you know, then that means you're a damaged person, which you should be according to the rules, new and just in generally. I think that's kind of something we can all agree on, even from old MMA rules to Japanese scoring. Uh, damage is the common thread of agreeance to what is in the rules, although, yes, of course, newer rules thankfully emphasize that the judge don't always go by it. So, if you're going by Mike Perry again, you're going by that, but you're also going by damage, which also means you got to give it up to, you know, Vicente Luque, because he was doing damage. Um, and uh, I actually lean toward uh, Vicente Luque 30-27, and I don't hate a Mike Perry scorecard 29-28, although it was funny, most people were, uh, even people that were scoring it for Perry were giving Luque the second round, and that was the round, in my opinion, that was closest um, as far as like for me at least for, for a Luke favor to give Perry because Perry actually made adjustments in that round that I tweeted about that really impressed me. He went to the body, but body shots aren't quite given. You know, judges don't give enough credit to that. Like I always say, uh, and he was also hitting a lot of uppercuts. He probably hit Luke with his best shot, but Luke always kind of gets hit and just weathers the storm. That's kind of his game. And commentators, different ones. So it's not a knock on the commentator. Again, this is this Luke's game. Commentators naturally go, oh, he's rocked, he's rocked, right? Everyone makes fun of Rogan for doing it, but everybody, I think everybody does it because it's kind of a natural inclination. Um, and like we saw that with, uh, I think it was like the Derek Krantz fight too, and you go back and rewatch that, and you're like, oh, he wasn't rocked at all by Derek Krantz. So um, I think that there was a lot of that there with that with that first round, and that's why people were, were giving it to Perry because they thought he was rocked. But if you were watching it, Luke was fighting very smart. Again, I tweeted this as well. Um, Luke does a lot of tape study, uh, and he, he actually, like, really doesn't just, you know, most fighters don't do it. Some fighters do it a little bit and say they don't do it. Some fighters say they do it, and they really don't do it that much, or they do it with their coaches. Uh, Luke actually, like, does it with his coaches and then does it on his own, and, and, and he actually gets a kick out of comparing the notes to see what they come up with, what he comes up with. Like, he is that kind of a dude. Um, nice dude, intelligent dude. Um... All right, take a shot. Protect your neck podcast listeners. Ben's going at his bone again. He's, uh, he knows he, he's not getting the attention right now. His ear is doing better, by the way. Um, but yeah, uh, yeah, so I actually uh, thought that the Perry had a good argument for the second round. Now, I understand he was putting pressure on in the third, and it was a close round up until then. But, you know, just the guillotine attempt, submission catch, um, in here scores with me and then you got the blood which kind of is reminiscent of the Sanhagen fight which we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to that fight here we'll break him break Sanhagen's matchup with the sun sound down um you know so I I, I gave that to, 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 to I felt that sealed it off for Luke 
But yeah, back to the tape. He's watching tape because in that first round, you watch him. He's like I tweeted. He's essentially just waiting for counters, hitting counter right hands and leg kicks. You know, and that's that's been Perry's problem before. You know, uh, um, Max Griffin was hitting with those counter right hands when you let Perry kind of walk into him. Um, counter crosses, albeit from the south ball stance, with you know uh, what do you call uh, Joe Ban and uh, before he knocked him out. Um, oh my gosh. Danny Roberts, hot chocolate Roberts, that's right. And uh, yeah, so um, you know, you could tell Luke did his homework, really smart stuff from him. Um, so yeah, hopefully he gets uh, out of the Ponzinibbio. I know people try to match Ponzinibbio, but out of the Ponzinibbio, Zelensky um, Dos Santos pool of guys on quietly impressive running streaks, but they need the bigger names. And this was kind of a chance, and they, they try to give it to him here, and he did his damnedest, so. Props to him. Good bonuses. Vulcan Ozemir defeated the Lula TV. Oh, pretty spot on. I mean, I, I, not the hardest fights to call, I guess, perhaps. I mean, uh, but if you watch, especially even like Coffee Talk with I did with Julian Marquez when we were breaking these downs, I mean, these, this one especially I went down kind of how I called it, you know. TV is going to be live, but he's going to gas out. It just happened faster than I thought. A lot of people weren't picking it up to the second round, but I even tweeted confidently enough that, like, after two minutes in, you could already see where the story, where the story was headed. And there it went. Sucks for Latifi. You'll see what he does next. He was talking about heavyweight before this. I don't know. You know, I don't know about that. People saying, you know, because Ozdemir looked bigger than him, but, I mean, Ozdemir used to fight a heavyweight and he's a big boy himself, so I wouldn't say that should be the reason why you shouldn't go to heavyweight, but, yeah, we'll see. Eduardo uh, Gadagori defeats Humberto Bendenai. Uh, so pretty much was... Just yeah, as it is, like I said, I know I'm really hard on Bentonai, but it's just deserved. Like it just he shouldn't shouldn't be in the UFC, and, and and that's a dickish thing to say. But you know, I think it's clear now. So hopefully, he can get his experience as a young kid, maybe he can come back. Adolfo Vieira defeated Piajota. Uh Thankfully, that went through in that cash. I think I had uh, what did I have last? It's pretty good for your boy. Uh, well, inside the distance, Luke Cade missed. Shevchenko missed. Uh, Vieira sub hit, which was nice. Um, Torres missed. Okay, I did, did bad on those. Yeah, you're right. All right. Well, that hit at least. But yeah, um, there are some things that, like you know, Vieira, he's pushed too fast. Could definitely be a spot to fade uh, because he still has to get a striking experience. Um, and Oscar Piotta, dead left shrimp. Fucking, he's still strangled dead left shrimp. God damn, Piotta looks like dead left shrimp. I'm here all day for the 90s basketball references, folks. You guys know that's my wheelhouse. Enrique Barsola defeated Bobby Moffitt. Uh, yeah, that was a competitive fight. I actually scored it for Moffitt live, but, I mean, it was a close fight. Uh, Gilbert Burns defeated uh, Alexei Konchenko. Um, yeah, pretty much had it how the judges did, I guess. Uh, Gane defeated uh, Rafael Pessoa. Um, yeah, I only like breezed through like one of Gane's fights and was impressed. But I didn't like I said I really didn't watch too much on him. And now I'm, he's really got my attention. Although that is just ridiculous. He said he was like a Brazilian jiu-jitsu, had all these like accolades in his profile, and then get subbed with that kind of shit. Like we saw that earlier in the fight too, uh, in a fight like the other. Day two, where some girl was like, purple belt in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, black belt in Judo versus Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, brown belt. And we saw that shit where it was like, someone got guillotined, and instead of defending the guillotine or solving the problem, they step over to mount, leaving their head still in the guillotine. Like, that's not brown belt stuff. Like, to be honest, that shouldn't even be purple belt stuff. Um, awareness there. So it's like, so you wonder with these, you know, with these... Uh, 
with these ranks sometimes. Um, all right, uh, but yeah, Sirogane, uh, though that that aside, still look good. Don't let that don't let it that fool you. Uh, you know, hey, Marina Rodriguez was the real. You know, I was I was just taking that shot on uh, the on paper shot, and yeah, I got some bias. I got some love for Tisha, and uh, yeah, man. Uh, maybe just passed her by, and and it's just kind of just kind of written, and then this was just a bad matchup and all that. So good on Marina, and I think she was the dog, right? Yeah. So good on anybody that took that. I took the shot, even though just as the playable favorite. Um, wasn't a lot to like on the card. Not that that's an excuse, but yeah, I just I just thought that was just a kind of a value play. Could have been one in hindsight where it was like it looked like a pass, looked like it was right. Teacher should be favorite, but mm, no. Uh, Rodriguez there. All right, Rogerio Bontorin defeated Paiva. It sucked that it was a cut because it was such a fun fight, such good prospects. Uh, I remember my flyweight rant last week. But that being said, I do feel like uh, Bontorin did show some edges as far as, like, the, the, you know, um, the aggression and grappling. It's just Paiva probably would have picked up later as the fight went. So too bad. hope to see them both back. Chris Gutierrez defeated Draldo Defeitas. I actually scored it for Defeitas, to be honest. I didn't go back to watch it or anything. But I picked Gutierrez, uh, but that was on the avoid list, I believe, for a reason. That was just a weird fight. All right, Alex Da Silva. Uh, I love how people were on that. Uh, Kevin Lee. I think I even said that in my breakdown, too. I can't even remember anymore. But uh, everybody else uh, agreed and seemed to be on that page, too. And then Rodrigo Vargas looked like uh, Eric Del Fierro. So, man, shout out to Matt and... Slippin' Dick podcast over there. Always, always, always a great weekly listen. Um, I was just like, oh, we got uh, Eric Del Fierro and Kevin Lee on ESPN Plus. That was great. Bonica Macedo, I missed that armbar. It was really nice though. I went back to watch it over Pollyanna Viana. Good on. I think I picked Viana, but my heart was with Macedo, so didn't mind Sierra come up on top there. All right, that was the recap, folks. That wasn't too bad. We're on to UFC 241 at 17:46. It'll be 18 minutes by the time. I pull up the odds here. As usual, we're going to start from top to bottom. It used to be from bottom to top, but I like this better, especially with uh, energy levels. It shouldn't be too much of a problem with me uh, recording at uh, afternoon time here. Um, <clears throat> all right, we got uh, Daniel Cormier, minus 135. DP Miocic, plus 115. Uh, In-depth breakdowns on the top two, so if I miss anything, please go there. Um, but, yeah, I... Uh, I picked Cormier the first time around, but I, I didn't. I didn't see that happening. Not that he couldn't knock him out. Um, I just had him by decision. I thought his pace was going to be better. Uh, that being said, obviously I'm still going to go with Cormier this time. Uh, and not saying obviously, because hey, if you're looking for a live dog just by nature, it's a competitive fight. Miocic's got the fire. It's heavyweight. Miocic's got the winning record as well. Um, it, it could happen. But. Man, Cormier just continues to impress, even when he's injured last minute. He doesn't seem to be any of that with this, you know, first camp in two. We're, we're, you know, he's looked in better shape each time, even though he had even lesser notice for that Derek Lewis fight. Uh, you know, I was worried for the first one. It looked like he just put on a bunch of garbage weight. He admitted it is doing as much, but he, he looks in better shape this fight, too, even coming into this one. So I expect to see the best shape in shape, uh, Daniel Cormier at heavyweight. Maybe maybe aside from his early days, maybe not even because he wasn't adjusting his weight back then. He was abusing it. And uh, I remember the first time he went to 205. I mean, he was even having a complaint about eating uh, fried rice with little bits of kale chopped into it. And uh, if that was eating healthy, and that was the you know, I, I got to imagine he was eating terrible before that. So yeah, this could very well be the best, most prepared heavyweight Daniel Cormier, and also could be his last fight, which is kind of ironic, right? Hits 40. 
This could be his last fight. Yeah, this is one of the more better prepared he was. He was very prepared, clearly, the first time. Did not take Stipe lightly. Had him broken down really well. I don't think he's going to go back to that trick, but as he referenced, he has many more tricks. But ultimately, for me, I just think it's, it, it's, it's the pace. Uh, if Steve Bay can't find that knockout blow, blow early, I think Cormier is going to outwork him. He's the better wrestler. Uh, they both can fight tired. I just think Cormier can fight tired better down the stretch. Um, uh, he's going to have that power that might be in, you know, Miocic's head. Um, and he's felt the power coming back. You know, I, I didn't like how relaxed he was. It was definitely nerve-wracking watching it without knowing, you know, the plan live. Once you know the plan later, you see why he was kind of uh, almost inviting him in, you know, and throwing that almost kind of, uh, you know, lackadaisical uh, light defense. Like, there was a point to it. Uh, hopefully, you know, <laughs> maybe that's good that he doesn't go back to that trick again because that just seems like a dangerous gambit even after we've already seen it work. Um, but I'm going to go uh, still go with uh, Daniel Cormier to retain here. Um, Listen to a little bit of the interviews and whatnot. He just sounds focused. Sounds like he's in a good place. Uh, yeah, not much to say there. Um, I mean, Cormier, uh, Miocic, you know, not much of a left hook. Not much of a kicker, so I don't see him going high with that left switch uh, switch kick to take advantage of that long-time uh, problem or tell that Cormier has where he dips to his right. Um Although I expect Steve Miocic to try some new tricks. Another thing I noticed, I don't know how much to look into this, but even in his pad work, and usually guys dumb down the pad work or do something different, granted, but not something different in the sense of something really clean combination-wise and unlike something they did before. And I, and I say that because uh, right after I mentioned Cormier's traditional dips to the right, which usually open up you know left-handed shots or so shots from the southpaw side, uh, is that even on the pad work, a lot of his stuff he was doing was slipping to the left, rolling under to his left, and not that he hasn't done either of those two moves in fights before, but the combinations that he was throwing and the way that he was moving was not a way I've seen him do before. It was clearly something new he was working on and bringing to light, and I like that a lot. That's really freaking smart um, because you draw out Stipe's biggest shot of the right hand, and you should be able to abuse that side rather than avoiding that side which he did in the first fight and he typically does anyways uh which was probably why he didn't get knocked dead by anthony johnson's right hand he always kind of has a natural give to that side and which is why he probably got knocked out on the other hand by jones left kick right um so i like to see that he's going to that side too so again i don't i don't think i don't think cormier sleeping on this um i'm gonna probably put a value bet on here minus 135 i, I think the line could get better but i probably won't the one line that I do think it's better is this one. Co-main event time. Uh, Anthony Pettis minus one. And by the way, no over under. There's not a lot of round props are out yet. So not a lot here, guys. I will give you stuff that I'm looking at if it's not out. There is one thing there. Um, hint, hint, hint. I'll hint to you by saying Derek Love Alert. That's right, baby. We'll get to that soon enough. But right now, Nate Diaz plus 105 is your underdog. Uh, Anthony Pettis minus 125. Not a surprise to see Nate Diaz as an underdog, although he's been creeping up steadily. And even at plus 115 where he was kind of holding at, plus 120 where he was kind of holding at this week, um, that's a lot of respect because it's funny, man. I'm a big Nate Diaz fan, but there's just so much of this, like, unabashed love. Like, he can do no wrong. And it's great. I, I, I like love the things he does, too. I'm not hating on it at all. But when we're talking about betting... And those kind of narratives or angles here, I mean, that's definitely one, folks. You don't get a lot of superstars in the sport, so you gotta you gotta know how to act accordingly, right? When Ronda Rousey makes her comeback, you act. Hopefully, you acted accordingly. 
Um, we saw that line shift, right? Uh, people acted accordingly. You don't get that much popular figures. And now sometimes popular figures are justified, whether they're good people that you, you dig or at least good people from what we can tell, right? That's kind of a dangerous thing to say. I shouldn't say that. Um, but you know what I mean, right? Like Nate Diaz, a beloved person, I should say. That's better, better word, more appropriate word. Uh, and they have skills too, which again is Nate Diaz. But, I mean, let's not be honest. I mean, Nate Diaz is not a world championship fighter. Uh, right matchup, could he become world champion? I believe so. I root for him to do it. But... History has proven that 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 hasn't been the case. Uh, he's beaten a world championship fighter in Conor McGregor, so maybe I, I should strike that. But I guess what I'm trying to say is he's only been favored to win two of his last 12 fights, folks. Um, and I'm a guy who defends records, you know. I defend, you know, I can't really defend BJ Penn's record or BJ Penn at all these days. But back in the, the day, I defended his kind of shaky record or like a Randy Couture record. I, I still defend, right, for what that's worth. But at the same time, I mean, Nate Diaz is 19 and 11, coming off of a three-year layoff. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's interesting. Pettis, you know, he typically does well, you know, uh, it, it, against Southpaws, four and two against USC Southpaws, but against guys that want to get gangster with him, against guys that want to pressure him, he does bad against right. Now, whether that's a quiet gangster that just wants to no sell you like a Rafael Dos Anjos or a crazy gangster like a Tony Ferguson we've seen that work and I'm seeing a lot of comparisons with those fights particularly the Tony and who's the other gym um Thompson fight uh, even though he won against Thompson I just think those guys are just more relevant uh his last two fights and uh they're also long and even though Thompson lost we saw him you know Hit straight down shots down the center. Uh, now Tony Ferguson did that too. Um, and again, we've seen this happen before. We've seen a lot of fighters p um, make them pay for you know uh, who was uh, who was the one I cited in my breakdown. I cited Tony Ferguson and Max Holloway. That's it. Max Holloway was the other one. Is another guy people bring up? Um, and I cite those in my breakdown and I address those. Um, and yeah, they were able to pressure him against the fence. Um, that's the kill zone for a lot of people. That's 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 no surprise. I, I've, I've actually titled it the kill zone, the inner black octagon lines. Um, you know, I, I talk about those uh, in my breakdowns all the time. And, and going back to, and again, you know, I've been writing these and breaking down fighters like Pettis since 2015. And I went back to read all these things. And yeah, the commonality, especially for a while, is there was a certain point, well, for the majority of, of Pettis' career, but a real, real point where I think, you know, it was really attacking him. Uh, uh, he's just a guy that likes to play on the out, 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 on the outside lines, you know. Sometimes didn't, you know. He's able to do that. Counter guys like Joe Lozon get that head kick right, but it was taxing him in other fights, um, which is why I picked Poirier against him because Poirier makes his money and he's good at corralling and he has the footwork and the tools and the pressure to do there, right? And that's why he did force that dog fight. And Poirier has proven uh, to be one of the best fighters in the world who beat Max Holloway. Um, he hasn't fought Tony Ferguson yet. That'd be a crazy fight. But Max Holloway and Tony Ferguson alone, world championship fighters, world champions. I shouldn't call Tony Ferguson a world champion. We, we shouldn't have to get into that argument. Don't make me get into that argument of all people. Um, and those are also two of the best builders in, in the sport. So I see the comparisons, but I, I think it stops short because those guys, not just the lazy analysis of, which is true, 
But it's lazy analysis to just leave it there, right, to hang my hat on the argument. Those guys are above a level than Nate. I think we can agree on that. Those guys are some of the best builders, some of the best uh, volume output guys in the sport. In fact, even though we allowed Nate Diaz for his cardio, I, 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 you put Nate Diaz against Max Holloway and Tony Ferguson, and those are probably the only two guys that I actually think out cardio Diaz. And maybe make him even look tired, especially. I mean, I know Nate wasn't fully healthy, or and or didn't get the notice in both those McGregor fights. But you look at the second McGregor fight, which I know he didn't come in exactly healthy, and had some kind of nagging injury coming in. I believe, still, you know, um, you know, still, it's not like uh, Nate um, is beyond, you know, getting tired or not getting tired. Like we don't necessarily see him gas, but I mean, it. He's consistent, but he doesn't turn up to that Tony Ferguson tent. Like, if he does, it's because the finish is coming, and the finish is coming soon after, you know, like Gomi or uh, Gray Maynard 3. Like, he's consistent. He's got great cardio. Don't get me wrong. But it's not like he turns up to those levels. So doing that math, I, I don't think it's as as bad of a look that Anthony Pettis came up short. And, by the way, if we're going to give Nate a pass in that Connor fight, um, you know, uh and I don't think it's it's a pass. I do think it's fair to acknowledge those things, but it's also fair to not or to respect the line and give give respect to the person that won. Um, but like, yeah, Anthony Pettis, you know, his hands broke in both those fights where he was stopped, uh, and they were corner and or um, it was corner stoppage for one of them with the Ferguson. I don't disagree with that. I know you know you can look at it like, oh, Anthony is uh, telling him and da 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 like. You can look into that and judge negative on on Anthony there and, oh, he's mentally weak or whatever. But, like, you know what? The dude broke his hand before, and he fought through multiple rounds with that with Max Holloway the other time he got stopped. And, again, you know, again, drawing all these similar lines here. So, like, you know, bad weight cut too. Crazy weight cut just diminished him. He was out there, and you could tell he wasn't really just fighting that great. And it was just an inevitability. Uh, Max was going to break him down. And don't get me wrong. I picked and predicted Max to win – uh, and I do, I still do, even at 155, to beat a, a healthy um, Anthony Pettis. So I'm not trying to take away from Max there, but again, like I don't think those are, you know, it it, it is a troubling trend. You know, when, you know when you look at it, like he Anthony Pettis never been stopped his whole career. Then he, you know, he's been stopped in three of his last six now. But before the Stephen Thompson fight, that was a troubling trend for me that I highlighted. It was three of his last five fights he was stopped in, but. Again, you know, the, the body triangle, that wasn't a quitting thing. That was just, that was real. That was a war, and that was just a real position. Dustin's strong, and we don't see it that often, but you look at that leverage point. Like, that's th that bridging point. Like, yeah, I could see how that happened. Anybody who grapples could see how that, that could happen, for sure. Um, and even when Anthony Pettis was, you know, not looking well, and another part of that was mental, and, and Duke Groover's up, up about that. They kind of had that McGregor-Kavanaugh thing where they weren't really communicating, and uh, Duke's a supportive guy, so he was encouraging Anthony to go out there. But Anthony, remember, he was kind of like doing little stints at Jackson Wing, jumping, kind of jumping around. Um, you could see it in his shape. He didn't look as good a shape, even at the 155 fights where he was having to get down. He was like having more belly than he had him on a 170 in his last fight. And this fight coming in, he looks in even better shape than his last fight. So from the way he's looking to the way he's performing, it matches up with the story. Coaches and fighters can give these excuses and stories. Um, but that actually does match up with the inconsistencies of Anthony Pettis as of late. So does that mean it's end-all, be-all? Does that mean he rides off, wins this fight, and then rides off into the sunset? I, I don't know. I don't know. But all those things do match up. Um, 
So could Nate Diaz get off to a start here and, uh, you know, uh, get Anthony off of his leg kick game, start controlling that center line and taunting him and getting his head? You know, hey, man, if anybody can do it, that's Nate Diaz's game. Could I see him, you know, building up rounds two and three, you know, after, you know, after maybe losing round one because Nate Diaz starts off slow, admittedly? Yeah. But the problem is you don't want to start off slow against a guy who starts off fast. Not only that, but he starts off fast, but he also carries all the traditional weapons that have traditionally hurt you, which, yes, are leg kicks. And it sounds like Nate Diaz is obviously aware of it. And there's a lot of speculation as to why Nate Diaz called out Anthony Pettis. And it's kind of obvious, you know, or people can kind of, you know, uh, not, not obvious, but people can, there's obviously takeaways where, like, you look at his interview, like, oh, okay, well, he didn't want the wrestlers. He wanted a striker. Oh, there was beef before. Whatever. I really could care less. Um, I don't know. You know, you know, I just think it's a, I think it's a bad, a bad matchup. So it's like, well, why would you think it's a bad matchup if it's, uh, if, if the Diaz can't call for it? Um, yeah, I don't know. Nate really doesn't have that many options, to be honest. Uh, there's blood there. I'm sure he thinks he can beat him i'm sure he saw some things he probably he probably likes but at the end of the day is a fighter really going to change i mean what, how many times has nate diaz really uh he makes you know sm small adjustments and gets better you know again like i said he's a slow starter so if you're a slow starter it's, you're generally adjustment you're generally a building fighter and he is he has his own way that he goes about that yes but as far as shot selection he really doesn't adjust much um he does He's always done quiet work to the body when he's in the clinch, like to the knees and those body, those low body shots, which I love. Uh, like you look at that Miller fight, um, the, the Jim Miller fight, he really takes the wind out of Miller before that, that guillotine finish happens. Um, but you look at any time he's faced a competent kicker. He went a long time in his career where he really didn't face any early and midway through. But when he starts facing him, if you look through his career and he actually do the tape study, you'll see it just, it's, 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 it's leg kicks every time. Um, sometimes he does a lackadaisical check after getting kicked like three or four times, but it's not much. Um, or in the Michael Johnson fight, what he was trying to do was instead of checking because he, he, he doesn't have the greatest checks, and then he understands that if he gets too defensively minded, he's just going to get a, let a guy build on him like Dos Anjos. So the adjustment he made in the Johnson fight was that he would kind of, uh, in other fights bef uh, recently, as you'll see him kind of throw like a, kind of a bullshit inside leg kick. And all that is is just to keep <clears throat> keep his leg in the air and doing something so you can't target that lead leg. And then it gets you to look at what he's doing and forces you to deal with it even though it's a shitty kick. And then he comes down the middle with his one-two. And uh, I love his off-tempo one-two. Um, you know, something uh, going back to, I think, 2015, I've been calling like a cool Cobra because it's the timing that he does it. And not many other fighters do it like this. Uh, Zach Makovsky, I know it sounds a really weird reference, but honestly, he's a southpaw as well. Fun size. He's one of the only people that throw the one-two like Nate Diaz. Um, and I haven't got the chance to talk about this that much lately because Nate Diaz hasn't fought in a while. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's I essentially, uh, if you read my breakdown, I just equate it to like a cool Cobra. It's just a, he'll throw a one, one. One, two, one, one, two. And the one, two, it's great because he attaches the cross like following right behind uh, the jab. So if like someone, there's, there's like a portal of defense around somebody, like a bubble portal, right? And the jab pierces the portal. But as soon as the jab pierces the portal, it like 
recloses, right? It, it just opens up for the fist and kind of recloses. Now, if you have that tube behind it, it almost kind of uh, coattails its way through the door, right? Whereas if you did through a regular one, two, that door would almost have to open twice, whereas you're kind of getting it in. You know, like if it's an automatic door, you're, you're getting both punches in at the same time because you're sneaking that cross literally right behind it. And it's, it's a really beautiful thing. And he really brought that to life uh, and really polished that full front with uh, probably the, the third Gray Maynard fight. But you really see, the, see it well in that Michael Johnson fight. Um, so, yeah. Sorry, I'm kind of all over the place here. Uh, so I encourage you to read that that, uh, that breakdown. But the thing, oh, that's what I was going to say. That Michael Johnson fight and the Cerrone fight are probably the only two fights where he really breaks type and beats guys that are kickers. But when I went back and watched those fights, like, Johnson starts throwing kicks in the first round and completely forgets about it because Nate gets in his head and gets him to play his fight and starts swinging and headhunting on him and forgetting about the body work and the leg, kick, and the leg kicks. But if, like... Literally, it's in the 90 percentile, if not on 90 percent upwards, uh, as far as like the kicks, you know, the kicks that he's landing. Unless he whiffs big, but he's essentially, you know, Nate's not blocking him. He's either whiffing on him, or it's like a laissez-faire check. Maybe one, one. There's like one, maybe two of those, but like Nate, it, it's the same book. You know what I'm saying? It's the same book because it has to be. He's so dependent on that one-two, um. And, and putting that putting that weight forward in that boxing centric bladed southpaw kind of stance that it's just gonna be there. It's it, it it's it's fight physics, folks. Like I've seen people, uh, you know, uh, argue argue one way or argue the other. Like I don't know if it's gonna be the ender, but I also know that you can't dismiss it. You know what I'm saying? Like so, I, I just think that the grounded point of view here is you look at the evidence and what does the evidence say? He always gets hit by him. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, so I don't know. I, I, I see Anthony Pettis putting on his own version of the Josh Thompson fight, you know, Josh Thompson fight was awesome because he was doing those really delayed kicks where again, we're talking about timing where Nate D Diaz lulls you with a slow timing and then picks it up. Josh Thompson did the opposite. He went with a fast timing. He kept whipping kicks. He kept shuffling left and then he whipped it. He would whip a kick with the stance switch as he went right. And then he would be slipping off to the sides each time of the straight line attacks because he knew Diaz went down to straight lines. Um, he knew he was going to need sweeping kicks, which is why my point of interest is straight lines and low kicks. Really, it's middle and low kicks, but low kicks. And what did he do? He went sweep, sweep. There's a certain fast, uh, faster motion. Right? Sweep, 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 right with a kick. The kick. He's going low. He's going low, a certain timing, low. And then he throws the right hand because uh, it was right hand low kick, uh, left jab low kick. And then he just throws, I don't even know if he throws the right hand or throws away the right hand, but he, he gives that, and just gives that look like he's going to throw it, gets Nate Diaz to put his hands up, leans over, and just kind of throws that kick up delayed, real delayed, almost like Carlos Condit hit GSP with, and just hits Diaz flush. I think he hit him like a time or two before, uh, flush as well. Diaz just has a stupid chin, so it kind of takes the perfect shot, um, I guess, but yeah, and and thankfully the... the uh, the corner through in the towel, but I see Anthony Pettis essentially doing his own version of that. I mean, you know, I thought Pettis was, I thought the fight was looking like, you know, how I thought uh, it would have been. Maybe I would have picked Diaz if that fight would have went the way I thought with Stephen Thompson, where I thought Stephen Thompson was going to abuse him, not with kicks, but with boxing, jabs and crosses down the center. That was my call. 
And it looked like it. I mean, hell, he did break his nose. But we interviewed Duke Rufus, and even Duke Rufus told me, and he was right. Of course, Duke Rufus is right. Duke Rufus is the man. But Duke Rufus, like, go back and watch that fight. Like, he was doing much better than many, many think. And you do it when you do go back and watch. You see that he was. And that's why Anthony Pettis, it's not just bullshit and bravado. I believe him when he said that even though my nose was broke, I knew I was going to get him. I don't believe that it's that, that's bravado that they're bullshit. I think that's true. You watch the fight, you could see it. Um, he's putting those low kicks on. He's he's sticking to the game plan. And then he hit something that he hit on in the Ferguson fight, and I didn't pick it up until uh, going back to watch footage for this fight. I spent all of Sunday uh, watching footage on both these these guys. Um, and, uh, you know, he hit him with a Superman punch, but he, Pettis called it a Superman hook, and I see why. It's because he almost shifted to southpaw. He springs up. It's like Superman, but it was more like almost like a drop step. Um, and we've seen that before from him, and we've seen that before in MMA. But now drop steps and stance shifts are getting so synonymous and so explosive, like that Jorge Masvidal finish of Darren Till. Um, this is kind of like the new evolution. And we're seeing, and that's what Pettis did. That's what Pettis dropped Ferguson with and knocked out Wonderboy with. Now, there were slightly variations with the Wonderboy one. He almost shifts to a southpaw stance. And with the Ferguson one, he was uh, accompanying with, um, with, it, uh, with, it, with his tie kick. Now, that one made more sense. It didn't, it didn't really jump out to me as much because I'm actually used to seeing those things because I come from traditional martial arts. Now... What people often miss with these Superman variations or drop step variations, um, and what just people don't really mention when they're really breaking anything down, a certain key word is counterbalancing. You do come across it in boxing. Uh, people will say sometimes, oh, he counterbalances himself with the hook because he knows that the right hand is going to throw him out of position, right? Um, but really, it's, 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 it's more used when you're talking about traditional martial arts. Now, again, kind of like I, I, I paired up Makovsky with Diaz. Well, I'm going to do another weird one for you. Elias Theodoru with Anthony Pettis. Now, Theodoru actually did the same thing as Pettis. Pettis did in that Ferguson fight. He just did it as a, obviously a less explosive way. He didn't launch himself. Again, this is kind of the more n new era of exploding with these drop shifts and counterbalances. And Pettis understands counterbalances because he comes from traditional martial arts. Now, it was impressive with Theodora when Theodora did it, not because it was, it was really you know, light and, and not damageful, but it was impressive, at least in his defense, was that he has no traditional martial arts or fighting or anything background. So the fact that he understood this was pretty impressive. But it's not crazy to throw it off. In fact, it's smart because everybody was going one, two, three, one, two, switch kick, jab, power kick. What's the commonality in all those? Left, right, left, right, left, right. You got to change it up. Left, right, right. Left, left, right. Right. You have to. You have to double up on on your your sides. Le uh, boxing, they call that levering. But in this kind of a punch to kick or kick to punch kind of a combination, it's counterbalancing. So when you throw a big right kick to counterbalance yourself, you can actually counterbalance yourself just as well, or in a different way, I should say, with a right cross. Uh, a right kick sure can counterbalance with a check hook, right, to kind of get yourself clear yourself out of danger and offer something if they want to come in and follow you out of kicking range. But if you do it the other way and you throw the right kick and you counterbalance with the cross, you get a lot of power there. Um, Pettis and anybody from traditional arts know this, but Pettis, with help from Duke Rufus, you go look at the old Duke Rufus or Rick Rufus tricks, they've weaponized that, right? Uh, the The... the the low kick Superman punch or kicking off that kicking off that power kick, bringing 
combining the Muay Thai power with that traditional martial art. So uh, I know, I know. Again, um, uh, plenty, plenty of analysis out there and whatnot. I just, I just really wanted to highlight that because that, that was just, that's just something that I really, I really appreciate uh, and and really uh, making that similar transition myself from traditional to Muay Thai. I just really love watching what that camp does. So um, hopefully, I was really long-winded there, but hopefully that gives you a a little bit of a better understanding. I'm going to take a little quick uh, unofficial break. Sorry, folks, a little scatterbrain there. I had to use a little boys all over the place. But yeah. Um, essentially, yeah, I just, I just think that, I just think that at the end of the day, just looking at, looking at this information and stuff, I just think it's a bad matchup for, for Diaz, especially after three years, you know, he's come back from layoffs and looked good before. I'm sure he'll be rejuvenated. He looks like he's in great shape, but fighting timing is fighting timing. And you're a guy that already admitted, admittedly starts slow on your best day, you know, against a guy that starts fast. Um, he just, Anthony Pettis seems clicking, looks great at the open workouts, body shape looks great. Again, all these, just all these check marks. And I just think that. This narrative, especially, you know, Diaz, the Oberg has spoken. We like, oh, Diaz, the shit. You know, the line fucking reflects that. The line jumped down even further after Nate Diaz lights up. Meanwhile, fucking Anthony Pettis is lighting up the pads in a way that just impressed the shit out of me. I haven't seen an open workout that impressed me that much. And no, he's he's done flashy stuff and so has other guys, but goddamn. Um, and I've, I've faded Pettis before. Uh, I picked against him plenty of times. I love Nate Diaz. I really do, folks. I hope this doesn't come off wrong, but man... I think it's a terrible matchup. And if I didn't love Nate Diaz, I would have probably already abused the line. But one, I, I, I do love Nate Diaz. But two, I also think if you're looking to bet Anthony Pettis, I think the line's even going to get better. I think we could see Anthony Pettis by dog money. And if it does go plus money, I'm going to hit it. I think he does gets it done inside the distance, which is already plus money for what that's worth. I got Anthony Pettis by a round two stoppage. I think body, legs, head kicks, he's just going to break him down. And... uh the hand fragility is something that, you know, not a lot of people have talked about. And, uh, you know, I, I have seen pop up here or there and something that popped up in my mind. But then I, wa- you know, I watched the interview and, I, and again, doesn't mean it's not going to break. Doesn't mean it's the truth. Who knows? But it does go with the information and the weight cuts um, that, you know, was bothering him that caused him to go to 170 in the first place. Uh, for fragility and that wouldn't be the first fighter in boxing or MMA where you know they get more fragile to breaking and snapping things <laughs> the lighter they go so I like this man he's not facing a real welterweight he's not facing a wrestler um, it's only three rounds so uh, you know worst comes to worse you know maybe Anthony Pettis is looking looking at a bad round uh, round three where he has to just survive but I think he does, and and submission wise, um, I think he's. I don't think he's gonna get submitted by Nate Diaz. I don't think either of these guys get submitted soberly unless they get rock first. But Pettis is legit, man. He's been operating at black belts for uh, at black belt level for some time. Uh, or Ferg used, oh yeah, Ferguson. And again, something I'm was gonna bring up with the Johnny the Greek thing, and it's not to show throw shade at him or or. or or others, again, it's fine to use stats. I'm just, you got to be careful what stats you do use, which is why I try to use more applicable and functional stats on, on this show or in my articles. Because it can be dangerous. You know, you got these, these guys like Johnny out there just saying, oh, he's like the, the predictive analysis. Uh, he's this taller. He's got this much reach. Like, that's not, that doesn't mean anything. Like, I hate when people go, oh, like, Tony Ferguson, you know, he's got the same reach as uh, Nate Diaz. Oh, like, you realize Tony Ferguson is like the most 
fucking craziest, uh, the one of the few guys who throws more of a shot selection than Anthony Pettis, right? To the point where he was super, he was Showtime Pettis and Showtime Pettis with Superman punches off the cage to corral him. Uh, he was using stance switches. He was using spinning shit, spinning elbows, a lot of elbows. Elbows were the main thing. Front teeps were the next main thing. A bunch of kicks. Tony Ferguson, yeah, there was boxing in there, but it wasn't until he hurt, hurt Pettis, corralled them with the Superman shit off the cage, survived the storm of round one, and deep into round two, it wasn't until deep in midway into round two where really we see Pettis or Ferguson starting to abuse him at boxing range, and even then he's mixing in elbows. So, you know, I, I warn people that just look at the stats or only look at, you know, this fight or that fight. Like, you, you, you got to look, look at the whole the whole deal there and um and yeah so i mean does that mean hey does that mean anthony pettis is gonna win this fight no does that mean nate diaz isn't gonna you know uh be in his face shit talking and and, and uh corralling him into the fence and slapping him up like the gray maynard fight hey man that that could happen but and if it does i'll be happy believe me i'll be happy to be wrong here guys i love nate diaz but from the narratives to the style it's everything seems off man i feel like it's a good opportunity if you're if you're okay with betting against Nate, I think it's a good opportunity here. I got Anthony Pettis. All right. Um, I'll try to speed this up, folks. Sorry. This is just a great fight. Uh, we got Yo Mero, minus 145. Paulo Costa, 125. This is another fight where, like, I'll just try to speed this up because I'm realizing how long I'm going on this shit. Um, it's just Yo Mero, man. Like, I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's fighters like Frankie Edgar that made me, like, hold the brakes if you're a world championship fighter. Uh, proven, then I'm going to hold the brakes on fading your age until you really just start to show it. And Yoel Romero hasn't showed it. Um, he looks really healthy even coming into this fight, maybe just because he's eating good and, you know, uh, all that stuff and came off that, uh, that, that you know, naturalistic uh, show. He's all cleansed and healthy and ready to go, and this time off did him well. Maybe it wasn't that bad of a thing. You look at the wars and what that guy's put him through and the weight cuts. Um, you know, uh, I already put a bet on him, but uh, I would probably wait till the weight weigh-ins. But other than that, other than a bad weight cut, like I don't see where he loses this fight. Um, Paulo Costa was getting, you know, taken down by a tired Alawale Bongbose. Now I understand after that camp, he focused more on his wrestling, went to the states a bit, got with Eric El Bahasin. We haven't seen him in a while, and so aside from a bad weight cut and, and, and Costa's improvements, which I do expect him to be improved, he is at that age. But at the same time, wrestling wasn't really his thing. Now, he could ride positions well and do certain things I liked that I saw in the regional scene, but that was the regional scene. Um, he's got jiu-jitsu accolades, but it's just like, you know, um, okay, you know, a lot of a lot of guys that uh, eat the healthy acai, you know, do good in those jiu-jitsu, uh, get those jiu-jitsu accolades as well. Let's, let, let, let's see, you know, what does he do if he's on bottom? We haven't really seen too much of that yet, but uh, but yeah, I'm sure he's a good grappler. I just don't think he's going to be good enough to impose it anywhere on Romero, so it comes down to the striking. Now, even though I'm the first type of guy to fade the first round finish type of dude and this and that, if you remember back in my breakdowns, uh, or even early on when this first guy, came, Paulo Costa, came, I said, hey, this guy isn't your typical bully. He works the body. You know how much Dan Tom loves the body work, right? Uh, he changes his timing, you know, bop, 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 but, you know, he'll change things up. He's not just keeping the same timing. He's changing his levels. He's changing his sides, doubling up, uh, fainting, doing all those things. But what was kind of not there was head movement because he's just so used to being, uh, you know, King King Hog that, uh, you know, I, I just think that he's just, he's like, oh, who's going to fucking step up to me? 
um, which remind me to kind of, uh, I think Sadiq Yusuf has a little bit of that that could burn him in the future too. We'll talk about that in that next, in next, but, um, but yeah, like, uh, you know, he, he, uh, he kind of like, he has that and you see it because when guys try to throw right hands and left hands, like they're hitting him, like left hands actually hit him the most. I noticed, but the one shot that hurt him was a right hand and it was a right hand. Granted it was from Uriah Hall, but it was a right hand. It, from a southpaw stance, it was a southpaw right hook that uh, Hall hit him with, and that's Romero's best shot. Because I'm pretty positive Romero is a right-handed southpaw. So Romero's got pop from that left side. We've seen that. You know, he can finish finish the, the, the fight from there. But he also has pop from that right side. And then he can fight from orthodox as well, as we saw in his last fight. Go old school boxing on him. Um, so, man, I think... Uh, Romero has just as much of a chance to knock him out early as Costa does Romero. Uh, but I actually think you were, Romero gets it. That's right, Derek Love. Ding, ding, ding. He thinks it's a third-round KO. Paulo Costa has barely been out of the first round. He's done pretty pretty well and passed the test he was supposed to, getting out into the second round for the first times in the UFC. But he has still never seen a third round. You're telling me that there's kids getting the push, coming off a, a, a layoff, which could be good for him, uh, but coming off of a layoff, and he could potentially see the third round for the first time on his biggest status main card his most dangerous fight against Yoel Romero, the guy who has the most third-round finishes next to Max fucking Holloway and Brian Ortega. You kidding me? Those are the only people that have much third-round finishes Yoel fucking Romero? I don't think you want that wants to be your first third-round UC, sir. So for that, I'm going to Romero inside the distance. It could happen in the first, but uh, I think it happens in the third. No third-round prop yet. So I'm going to put a half unit on that. The inside the distance is juiced to minus, so you might as well just play the value again at minus 145. It's been at minus 150 all week. I don't know if it's going to get any better than that, so I I took I pulled the trigger at minus 145, um, and I put uh, just two units on that, just straight up. Uh, so if the round three hits, that's all just gravy. I'll make it back uh, if he, as long so long as he wins. That's uh, that's my straight play there, um, and yeah. That'll close that. Uh, kind of close all those things out. We still got a prop and a parlay, a two-leg parlay that I did for fun. If you guys want that coming your way, not telling you to play any of this, folks. Just saying where I'm at. All right, Sadiq Youssef, uh, Super Sadiq minus two seventy-five, and Gabriel Benitez plus two thirty-five. Uh, shouts to that tweet. It said, um, what "Was it a uh, oh, uh, better call, Saul?" If you saw that, that was actually Sadiq Youssef. That was after his uh, Titans. Cage Titans or Titan, whatever, I can't think of the name right now. Titan FC or whatever, 47 fight or whatever it was that he lost. Uh, Gonzalez, and he was kind of just staring off. And I'm not trying to screenshot him when he's at his low. That wasn't the intention to diss Sadiq. But it was just weird because I think he's probably like some kind of commission guy or whatever. And he comes to kind of check on him, but he just gives him the sympathetic look. And the guy just looks just like Saul Goodman from Better Call Saul. So hashtag Better Call Sadiq. Don't be surprised to see that retweet or tweet it out with a, with a Better Call Sadiq update. But yeah, man, uh, I'm taking Sadiq Youssef here, but I'm actually being careful with the line. I'm not saying I'm not going to play it. I probably still will play it on fight night. He'll definitely be in my for fun main card parlay. I probably put him in something else. But it'll be for fun, folks. I'm actually, I don't know, I'm kind of worried about the, the chalk here. This isn't just some typical South American or Mexican guy. Y'all y'all know I've been high on Gabriel Benitez. I know I'm my Southpaw bias. But this guy's a real deal Southpaw. You know, uh, I believe it was, fuck, AKA Javier Mendez quoted him as saying he was the hardest kick, kick harder than Luke Rockhold. And you, 
you hear him kick, I wouldn't doubt it, man. This guy kicks hard. But he also can box pretty well. He's really been working on that. Um, it looks like he's been working that on his off time as well. It's come together a bit on his fights. He's got that kind of southpaw counter that everybody has. He's also got the check right hook. Um, he'll shift the stance too in combination. He's not shy off that. He's been he's been playing with that a little bit in his most recent fights, but uh, it's hard to know where he's at. You know, um, I expect him to be good. A lot of these guys they'll they'll take time off like this. They're not that active. These regional guys, so it's not that crazy. Um, he looks like he's in great shape coming into this. He's going to be live. It's going to be interesting because, like, Sadiq Yusuf hasn't faced a lot of southpaws. You know, how does he do with that stance? Um, that's going to be the big thing for me. Uh, I didn't see any notable southpaws from his Instagram. Training over there at uh, Team Team Lloyd Irvin. Um, so I, not a lot of southpaws I know of over there. So that's going to be the wild card for me. Um that's going to be the wild card for me is how he deals with southpaws. That being said, his counter right hand is money. Um, and that right hand is money. And we've seen it. You know, we saw Jason Knight rock uh, before falling apart. Rock uh, Benitez. And Benitez has been hit with that shot before. Um, but it, it, it's going to be how he deals with being a southpaw. And Benitez had that sneaky uppercut he hit on Bantanay. Granted, it was Bantanay. But I'm going to look at that. Because if you notice, Bantanay shells. So it's perfect shot for shelling. That, that kind of uh, uppercut like that. And Yusuf shells a bit, too, and leans forward. So I think that uppercut's going to be super live. And in fact, I wrote flying knee here, question mark. I've only seen Benitez, I think, throw one flying knee in the UFC. Um, so that's not what I'm calling for here. I'm picking Yusuf to win a competitive decision. Possibly knock him out, in fact, because he's just so ridiculously powerful. Actually, I think that's the more uh, logical. I think it's probably going to be a late-round, third-round knockout. Um but I wrote flying knee because mark this, guys. Uh, he puts his weight on that front leg too. But in a different way. Not like the Nate Diaz bladed way that's going to make him open for leg kicks. Sadiq is ready to return. Um, because he's, he's squared and he's more faced forward, right? His knee's more faced out. So it's more apt to check and return with power. Which is great. That's fine. But... I notice he he, land, he leans extra low uh, forward uh, on that lead leg. And uh, the shots that he has been hit with that have rocked him, because he got rocked with a right hand before uh, getting uh, that weird uh, hit, that arm toss where he ate the mat. And again, you also have to incorporate the Jorge Alonso terrible refing where I wish people, like, it's like, can we get Jorge Alonso to ref? The only person you can he should be refing that fight and being that much involved in the fighter's hands being closed which that pisses me off too, but Sadiq technically wasn't doing anything wrong and he got him off of his game as John Jones. But anyways, that was just kind of a weird fight. But anyways, neither here nor there. Um, he got hit with the right hand before that and that seems to be the main shot that lands on Sadiq. But when guys throw left hooks and stuff, he rolls under counters. Like he's really wired to avoid the left, which is good. It's going to be real good for this fight, uh, hopefully. But he gets hit with rights a lot because he puts his, his, I think he just because he, he leans so forward to the left over that lead leg. And another thing, thanks to Jeremy Stevens taught us against Dennis Bermudez, and he says it in his post-fight interview, is when guys lean over that lead leg, it opens up that flying knee all day. Um, now, the one that Gabriel Benitez does in his fight, uh, it was like from it was the left flying knee from the power side. He's going to have to do it like Carlos Condit, where Carlos Condit went southpaw against Dong Young Kim, uses the left knee to launch, and really it's the switch knee, it's the right knee that does the knockout, kind of Masvidal Askren. Um, mark my words, guys. Sadiq Youssef, um, if he gets beat in the UFC or if he gets knocked out in the UFC, it's going to be by a flying knee. You heard it here.
If Sadiq Yusuf gets knocked out in the UFC, it's going to be by a flying knee. Just wanted to say that. But the pick is Sadiq Yusuf. All right, next. Ian Heinish, minus 145. Derek Brunson, plus 125. Uh, it's a good fight. Um, yeah, I mean, my, my, my call is pretty basic on this one. I got to imagine it's anybody's call who's picking or justifies uh, Ian Heinish. Heine, would you like that? The, uh, if anybody picking Heinish, a.k.a. Uh, Zach. Zach from Wedding Crashers. They're diminishing the fucking population. You got a fucking problem with that? Crab cakes and football, baby. That's what Maryland does. <laughs> Sorry, Governor. I don't know what got into me. <laughs> Nature versus Nurture Lodge. Nature always wins. Sorry, guys. I'm fucking kidding. But it crashes over here. Uh, but, uh, but no, man. Um, I'm interested to see how this one plays out if Brunson decides to wrestle or decides to strike with him. Uh, I don't think uh, Crazy Brunson would be bad in this fight because it would test to see if uh, Heinish, you know, if he can get knocked out there. But at the same time, I don't think Derek Brunson's going to do that. I actually don't hate the camp change for him um, as far as trying to be more measured. Going to Henry Hoof, getting more, you know, fundamentals and process there. Um, showed that in the fight against Elias Theodoru. Elias Hart got to look good against. Um, but the silver lining there was Derek Brunson didn't get frustrated. Uh, didn't show the gas and just kind of fought within himself. But I don't think that Ian Heinish is going to allow for him to do that because Ian Heinish does bring the dogfight. Um, he wins a lot of decisions like Theodore, yes, but he's not like him at all. This guy can knock you out. Um, he'll, he'll go for the ground fighting. He'll go for the submissions off his back. You know, I, I believe he might have popped if he hit his arm or claimed to have. And it was a, it was a gutsy armbar, enough to credit him for a catch, you know. So I'm not worried about the wrestling. I don't know if he takes Derek Brunson down with that ridiculous takedown defense, but I think he was able to press Derek, pressure Derek Brunson enough to make Brunson want to try to take him down. And as soon as you see Derek Brunson start to wrestling, that doesn't mean Derek Brunson's broke or anything like that necessarily, but I think that's a hugely good sign for Ian Heinish because now he's getting to expend energy and fight his fight. So I guess as long as Heinish doesn't get knocked out in the first round, I see him pulling away. I don't know if he gets the stoppage. But uh, probably do another classic Heinish performance as far as his UFC performances go. Um, taking rounds uh, two and three. So we'll see. See how he does against yet another Southpaw. Devontae Smith minus 1 800 versus Kama Worthy. Uh, Kama Worthy fought a bunch of uh, recognizable names, including uh, Paul Felder, who gave him his first TKO loss of his five. But I think he gets number six here from Devontae Smith. They train together, which is a problem, but this is short notice. And Devontae Smith, all super impressive. Um, and he's, I just I really like the kid. I really like his swig, swagger. Yeah, boy. Another. What worries me, though, maybe you should worry me more for Heinish because he's the second fight. Back-to-back -back, uh, Mark Montoya fight. fight so poor Mark's got to do double duty, but Mark's great. Uh, and uh, just that camp is another reason why I kind of feel more confident in both of these picks, especially this one. And what he said, Devontae Smith in an interview, you know, he's not going to be taking it easy. He's going to show, he wants to make it a point that, like, yeah, this guy's my boy. He's a friend that we used to train together. But if I knock him out, imagine what people are going to think that I did that to a friend. What am I going to do to you? And I'm like, holy shit, man. And he's got that real swagger. He's got that real edge to him. Uh, so, man, Devontae Smith fan here. Um, I won't fade him. Anytime soon. I, I, I know I took that shot against Rosa. That was an admitted bias pick, granted, too. 
But uh, but yeah, man, you're really gonna need a certain kind of grinder to really just test this guy and get this guy out of his waters again. Um, he's way past that John Gunther loss in his early days. So Devontae Smith, by uh, they don't even have an inside the distance line for him now. So I'm sure that'll be super juice. Probably be like. 350 to 4 and then just get bet up like ridiculously from there. All right, Corey Sanhagen minus 220, Rafael Sunsau comeback plus 180. I got Sanhagen here. Feel pretty good about that. Been a big fan of Sanhagen and his style since his debut, uh researching him for that. You know, he always gets compared to that TJ Dillashaw shifting style, but he's got more of that karate kickboxing kind of influences. Um but uh a lot more play in his style, but I like it. Um it was a close fight. I don't remember who I scored it for. I remember being nervous. And in the second time watching it through against that Lineker, um, yeah, I think uh, you get Lineker three and uh, two possibly as well because Sanhagen kind of started taking off and didn't really do anything to close that second round. And Lineker had some really good damage in the in hard shots in the middle there. Um, so, yeah, uh, there's that. Um, sorry. Uh, but, but yeah, so, but you know, that, that was fine, man. Lineker's good. And that was an improved Lineker for whatever that's worth. Uh, that was a good test and a sun is going to be another good test. So, um, this is the, another one that the, the, the Greeks on. So maybe that, that kind of forced my hand here, but yeah, this is on the avoids list here, guys. I'm picking Sanhagen. Um, I, I may put him in a play as well. I'm not saying I won't, you know, uh, for fun on fight night. Maybe if I'm, you know hit something, I don't know, but really probably not, guys, because, like, it's 220, I don't think he gets it done inside the distance, if he does one, it's probably going to be by decision, and a Sun Sal, I don't think, you know, again, he's older, and it's at a younger weight, so the bottom is going to drop out, but until I see it, you know, I don't know, I mean, Marlon Marais is a beast, uh, I picked him to win, albeit not by that, but that's not by really surprising, I mean, that, that's kind of what a lot of us picked to happen maybe the first time. Um, but at the end of the day, a Sun Sal is a really good counter striker and kind of a good test for him because even though he's not going to be a takedown heavy guy, which you think would be an on-paper bad matchup for Sanhagen, he does have those things in his back that he can go to um, if Sanhagen's not careful, gets himself out of position. More importantly, the strongest part of a Sun Sal's game is he counters off of kicks. So I think that's going to be enough to keep Sanhagen honest and really force him to that John Lineker game where he got countered off of kicks really hard early on against John Lineker. And I think that's what, that's what forced Sanhagen to kind of box and stay behind his pulling jab more. Um, so I think we're going to see that, and I still think that's enough to get him a decision win here, but not enough where I'm confident enough to lay minus 220, especially if you got, you know, a potential mush on board. So uh, give me Sanhagen. That one's on the fight to avoids list. Um, oh, I love this fight. This is a fun fight. Manny Bermudez versus Casey Kenny. Um... This one's also on the avoid list because I just I just want to sit back and watch this fight. I got so much respect for both these guys. Casey Kenny won amateur titles in my backyard here with Tough Enough. Um, I know I cover Contender Series now, but I didn't technically cover it the first season. Uh, I only went to one of the fights live, but I, I saw him fight live there. That's when I first saw him. Uh, did well against Ray Borg, whether you scored it for him or not. That was just a close fight, so you really can't cry either way. Um, and, uh, yeah, if he's got... The only thing is it's just, you know, on paper, it's not that he looks fraudulent by any means. It's just you, you do wish for a bit better takedown defense and maybe even better gas tank too because I know he was short notice against the Borg fight, so it's okay to get tired there. But, you know, I've seen him get tired in 125 fights. And granted, those fights were okay. That was a quick turnaround. 
Um, so, you know, 135 here, maybe he likes it better. Now it's full camp and 135. I'm sure that hedges his bets to maybe he won't get tired. But that's just something you don't want to see at all at that weight class. And then giving up takedowns for a guy who's a accoladed judoka black belt and a, and a, and a fairly experienced wrestler, to say the least. Uh, that said, Manny Bermudez has faced good wrestlers and good grapplers before, and he's TKO'd him or submitted him. Um, he gets his way really well. Um, and, hey, Manny Bermudez barely gets to the decision at all, so we don't know how he gets there. And it's also against southpaws. Manny Bermudez very rarely faces a southpaw. In fact, that was the big question mark because the one decision in southpaw fight against Sal Almeida is a split decision, one of two decision wins, and, again, it was by split. So uh, say what you will, Saul's an experienced guy. I know he's kind of that regional launching guy from the CES or that area, but, you know, hey, it's a good, that's a good measuring stick right there. So I really wanted to see that fight. I didn't get a chance to see that fight. Couldn't find it. Um, so those are the things I'm going to be looking for here. But I'm picking Manny Bermudez. I really like Manny Bermudez. I love his style. I was just re-watching his finishes, trying to take notes for myself, even though I can't do... I'm not flexible enough to do half that sh some of that shit. Uh, I really like like his attacks here. Um, he doesn't have a lot of rear naked choke finishes. I believe only two if you include his amateurs. But look for that and back takes because Kenny will give his back. Um, he's really good at it, so I'm not one to condemn it. I do that myself. It's my go-to to go turtle, and I'm not a talented fucking UFC-level flyweight or judoka or bantamweight or whatever he is, so... Credit to him, he's able to get away with it so far. But against Bermudez, you know, the the, the turtling out can also lead to a front headlock. And that's a super dangerous uh, position with Manny Bermudez. Uh, so for that reason as well, I don't think we see Kenny going for takedowns of his own. So I think he's going to try to strike. Uh, from what we've seen, he's the more diverse striker for sure. Is he the better striker? I don't know. Bermudez hasn't, you know, he doesn't, he's usually not on the feet very long. And he does well there, but it doesn't last long because he'll, he'll rock guys and... Or knock him down even. So, give me Bermudez, but this is just an enjoy fight, wait and see. I mean, if you if you know something or see something that I'm not and you feel good about it, go ahead. But it's on my avoid list. Jakar close minus 170. Christos Yagos uh, plus 150. Is this another one that... Uh, yeah, I think this Johnny's on this one too. You know what? I'll be honest, I'm on this one too. This part of that two leg that I'm liking as far as... Uh, Try not to take anything too chalk. That's fun early. Not just fun, but I, I, I'm playing it legit to think it could win. I should put a, I actually put two, two units on it. But I will, I'll get get it to you when we get there. It's uh, one leg of it is uh, is Dracar close here at minus one seventy. Uh, Christos Yagos, you know, I slept on him. I admittedly slept on him against uh, Demir Hadzovic. Um, yeah, sure. In retrospect, we can say Hadzovic not as good as we thought. Although I will say, even though Hadzovic is one of my dudes, I, I, even me is biased betting him. Uh, one of my dudes. I even said like, you know, it's not this guy is going to be the top fifteen or uh, or ranked dude or anything like that. He's just a fun guy, you know. That's it's good to bet in certain spots, and I thought that could have been a spot for him. Um, you know, I don't know if I bet him that hard because he was a favorite, but I, I picked him for sure, and I thought that could have been a matchup for him to win. I guess you'd say. But Christos Yagos, man, yeah, came in with a good game plan. But even then, he's just still, you know, even though he managed it better, like he said, his adrenaline dumps, which is gassing, he is still tired in that third round, giving up takedowns and just looking at the cl clock checking, man. Against Dracar Close, a guy who comes in, comes on late, can make adjustments, and it's hard to discourage. Like, he has to defeat himself and frustrate himself against a guy like Timor. Aside from that, Dracar Close is, you know, he, he passed the mental games and whatnot with uh, – 
Bobby Green, and Bobby Green caught him out of position early. I just don't think he was expecting him so to, to go for a takedown at that point. But Jakar Close is a hard guy to take down and generally a hard guy to catch out of position. I don't think Yagos is the better wrestler. Uh, Yagos, um, you know, a good, good grappler, but I don't think uh, he's going to really get it to that, that realm. I think he'll get stuck in the clinch. Um, and hitting shots off the break, like most guys uh, get stuck with with Close. Um, he could outpoint Close. He's got more of an output, but again, he slows down. So whatever ground he takes early, I think Close is just going to take it right back. Uh, I'm not confident enough to say Close gets a finish, but I'm pretty sure he gets a win. You know, Again, we've seen both these guys against wrestle boxers and how they do, um, and I think Close takes this one, guys. Um, I know he changed up. He's training with Eddie Cha, but that's not going to hurt him. He's already the better wrestler, and he's not going to. This isn't a fight where he needs to go to the ground. Uh, his striking needs to be on point. So that move with Eddie Cha over to uh, fight ready with again you got Cejudo and those guys down there as well. I don't think that's bad. So give me Jakar Close here. He's one leg of a possible play. Um, this one's not on the avoid list, but I'll probably avoid it just because I, I don't care about <laughs> this type of fight at this line. Uh, not this type of fight. You know what I mean. Uh, Hannah Cyphers minus 280, Jody Escabel plus 240. Jody Escabel's in a must-win. Um, she's not favored a lot, but she's dropped the fights that she was favored to win. Uh, whereas Hannah Cyphers is an overachiever. She looks like she's like a DV victim who's like afraid to speak out. Like she's just like 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 like, like you know like the cop you're trying to interview. Like you know something happened. Like it's okay. You could you could speak to me. Like no, I I fell. I'm fine. I fell. Like, she has that when you're trying to interview her. I'm not trying to make light of DV guys or make that joke here. <laughs> well, Dan, you are do make an appropriate joke. Okay, wow. All right, strike that one from the record. It's on here, but whatever. But, yeah, she just seems very meek. Like, you're, she's afraid you're going to, like, slap her if you say something wrong. Like, relax, relax. This is, this is, that bad relationship has passed you. <laughs> you're good. <laughs> it's terrible to say. But, no, she's, 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 she's a real man. She, she gets out there and scraps. She'll go for takedowns if she has to. Um, I don't know if she gets any on Escabel. Escabel's pretty stout, can defend him well. Only one person in the OC's got him on her, I believe. Uh, but I do think she wins out the striking exchanges, and she's just more aggressive and just puts it out there. Escabel just pulling the trigger and making the decisions. You can't can't depend on her. So Hannah Cyphers, but I ain't playing it. All right, uh, Kyung Ho Kang, minus 190. Uh, Brandon Davis, plus 165. I like Brandon Davis, man. Um... I think I maybe took a shot to fade him last time uh, and uh, didn't look too crazy because he was taking shots and not taking shots as well as he normally did. Granted, Costa was a hitter as predicted. It wasn't just on paper. Um, but, yeah, that weight cut, I don't, I don't know about that. Getting back up to 160, that can't be good for you. I really don't like Brandon Davis at this weight. I don't think that's going to make too much of a – I mean, stylistically, maybe he'll, he'll, he'll face less wrestlers and he'll obviously have the height, uh, height and reach advantage for sure. He's massive, but – He's facing another massive guy who looks all jacked and healthy coming into this fight. And Kang, Kang fights smart. You know, it was a split decision against Ricardo Ramos, which is impressive nonetheless. And they did get it right. I, I did score it for Ramos live and after. Um, I can't remember who I picked there. Uh, close fight. But um, Kang, man, uh, he's smart, man. He, he, can, he can survive on the feet. He'll take it to the ground when he needs to. Obviously, Ramos is hard to get to the ground and super talented there. But when he's facing Kennedy or Ishihara... Uh, and in this case, Davis, I think he's going to know to get it to the ground. So um, I think Kang gets it done inside the distance at plus 185. I threw a unit on that easy, and I, I tagged Kang on 
for Jakar Close. So the double K can't go triple K. We'll get us ourselves in trouble, folks. Double K, Kang and Close plus one thirty-five ish. Jesus, Dan, how many? What did you just tell you? You just scold yourself, warn yourself at the top of this episode. You're not going to be inappropriate, Dan. You're <laughs> making a lot of inappropriate jokes. Kang Close, baby. Kang Close parlay. Um, do what you will. Um, but I, I, I threw. Uh, Probably didn't have to go that heavy. Just did it for fun. But uh, yeah, plus 135-ish. And then Kang threw a unit on that. Plus 185. Yeah, meet us all. All right. Uh, lastly, last on the avoids list, last on the card, Shayna Dobson, minus 115. Line is tightened up to now near Pick'em. Um, I might have degenerate sprinkle if Maso goes back to a dog, but Maso now minus 105. And yes, as I just portended it, the pick here is to beat a Maso. I like Shayna Dobson. I was like, wait, did she used to fight? Is this fight at straw weight? No, this is flyweight. She's fought at flyweight before. But if you look at her on her Instagram, man, Shayna's really coming in some wicked shape. She's still training at the uh, Lloyd Irvin over there, Team Lloyd Irvin. So she'll be out there with, uh, who else is Team Lloyd? Eh, it doesn't matter. But, uh, yeah, she'll be out there. Uh, but she looks super shredded, man. Like she's going down a weight class. Will that be better or worse? I don't know. She's got good pressure. Hopefully it doesn't affect her durability and power because that's like some of her biggest attributes in this weight class I see being for her. But I'm going to go with some uh, Sabina Matzo. Um, the takedown was bad. The showing was bad. But it still was only one takedown. Um, she still has a chance to show that her Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu brown belt is the real if it goes there. Uh, and I just like her variety of boxing and kickboxing more in the feet. Let's be honest, a little bit of a King's MMA, a little slant there. Not that I ever have that bias, but shouts to my boy who does, and I have a bias too. John John Rico, shouts, who, who, who won the other week, a.k.a. Uh, Matt Schnell. John John Rico, man, it's Sabina Matzo. I, I know I talked about that. Oh, man, I got a soft part, man. Colombian girls are my Colombianas, are my kryptonite. I dated a Colombian girl, used to piss her off so bad. Don't piss off Colombian girls, man, you get Phones thrown at you. I've had lamps thrown at me. <laughs> oh, but it's worth it. But it's worth it. Dan, getting back on. Stay on target. Stan, you know that Mahiko is short? And Mahiko is a man with a dream. You have the wrong dream, short. Sorry, right. now I'm quoting Blow. I used to do that to, to piss her off because Colombians hate when you talk about cocaine stuff because that's all they hear about. Oh, Sabina. So, Dan, this is a technical breakdown show. Yes, yes, technical breakdown. The pick is Matzo. Fights to avoid. All right, folks. We didn't do too bad. It was a longer episode, but we gave you more time to watch it. We're going to be getting this out. I had to get the fuck to, over to jiu-jitsu. Hopefully. I might miss no-gi. I have to go to gi now. Uh, well, I was going to go to gi anyways, but just gi instead of no-gi. All right. Um, top to bottom. I got Daniel Cormier over Stipe Miocic. Got Anthony Pettis over Nate Diaz. I got Yoel Romero over Paulo Costa. Taking Super Sadiq over Gabriel Benitez. Taking... Ian, Zach from Wedding Crashers, Heinish over Derek Bronson, taking Devontae Smith over Hama Worthy, taking Corey Sanhagen over Rafael Osonshaw, taking Manny the Bermudez Triangle over Casey Kenny, taking Dracar Build the Bear Close over Christos Yagos, taking Hannah Cyphers over Jody Escabel. taking Kyung Ho Kang over Brandon Davis, and taking Sabina Matzo. Over Shayna Dobson. Uh, almost all favorites there. But not leaving you without plays. Uh, parlayed uh, Kang and Close together for plus 135-ish at your own risk. You crazy maniacs. Uh, props. Romero round three. It's not out yet, but I'm going to look for that. I'm going to hit it with a half unit. Kang inside the distance. I hit it. Plus 185 for one unit. It's a 
played Romero straight, minus 145 at two units. Probably going to hit DC at minus 135 here. Probably do another, uh, excuse me, 1.5 to two unit value bet. We'll see how I'm about to value bet. It's a fucking heavyweight fight with deep big talents. But you know what? Goddamn hiccups, let me get through. Almost done. Uh, you know what I mean. I may do that, and we'll see if uh, Pettis goes to dog money. I'm definitely playing him. He's minus 125, but the line may get better. So no more straight plays for me. Uh, that rounds up that. And fights to avoid. Bermuda's Kenny, Dobson Masso, and Sanhagen, a Sun Sal. Whatever it is you're playing, good luck this weekend. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate all the love and support. Uh, sorry if I was a bit down last week and whatnot. Thank you guys for bearing with me in the show. Hope you guys appreciate the earlier slash on time episode. And... Always protect Yannick.